Hey, I want to share with you guys a word today on a compassionate church. We've been on a series um, on what kind of church God wants us to be when we are on the ground. And not just on the ground, on wherever, whichever ground you find yourself in. So some of us are here on the ground, here in this area, right? We're here on the ground. And in the days to come, more will be joining us here. As Andros said, when is your turn? Wait, we will find out, you know, as days go by, but we're really trying to try to just, you know, uh, um, run a few tests here and get the systems running before we open it up fully. Now, we are on the ground, but wherever you go, you are also occupying ground. At your workplace, you're occupying ground. In your homes and in your, in, in, in your neighbourhoods, you are occupying territory. So, what kind of church does God want? SIBKL at Sungai Bulo. And don't forget, we always say this, right? That we, we don't go to church. We are the church. We gather as a church. So that means that wherever you are, you are part of the church. You are living stones in the, in the church. So what kind of church does he want to see? He's been taking us on this, uh, on this series, a set-apart church, a miraculous church. Uh, 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 so many, right? Like we, we've gone through now. We're on our second last one. Uh, we looked at an authentic church the last time we did this. And today, a compassionate church. A compassionate church. Everybody say, compassionate church. I want us to be a compassionate church. But more than what I want us to be, I think the Lord wants us to be compassionate. Why? Because He Himself, when you go right into the depths of His heart, is a compassionate God. We see it in the Scriptures over and over again. Now, His call for us is the same. Love one another. Now, here's before I jump in, I just want to say this one thing. When you think of the word compassionate, the English word compassionate, okay? What do you think of? What do you think of? Everybody, what do you think of? If, if you want, you can say it in the chat, you know, uh, um, there, these guys don't have the chat. Yeah, you don't have the chat, but you're physical. <laughs> okay, oh, what do you think of? Normally, we think of someone receiving some kind of aid and that someone is of a, maybe a different colour from you, of a different socioeconomic status from you, um, lives in a different part of town from you, something like that. It's quite normal. I'm not saying it applies all the time. I'm saying that that's quite a normal picture we get in our heads whenever we think of the word compassion. But is compassion really just limited to a differentiation and a kind of like uh, giving of aid to someone who is, who is much poorer than you, in, in a much worse condition that, than you? Or is compassion something that applies to everyone? Something that you carry in you and it is there. Um, so, for example, husband and wife, when you fight, is that compassion? Is that kindness for one another in the way you fight with one another? I know you're going to fight with one another. It doesn't matter how you're going to fight with one another. How do you do that, right? When you, when you buggy your, your, your um, subordinate at work, you know, is there compassion? Does it come into play at all? Or is that like, no, no, no. Compassion is only when we give uh, um, uh, food aid to, to starving Africans or something like that. That's what I grew up with, right? It's like, it's like in the 80s, it was... It was I'll, I'll tell you all a few more stories about, about that. Growing up in the 80s and the 90s and, and, and seeing a lot of, of, of that stuff. Now, I just want to get into the scripture, so let's go. 
And while we go, let me pray. Father, today I pray you give us all a heart of compassion and soften our hearts, Lord God. Father, soften our hearts. Do not let our hearts be hardened, but Lord, we pray that we will be soft in your hands so that you can shape us and mould us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I'm going to be showing you John 13, John 15, 1 John 3, 1 John 4. Like, like, like the, the, the Apostle John um, is just layering uh, very similar ideas over and over uh, uh, again. So he says this in John 13. This is immediately after he washes the disciples' feet. This is at a time when even Judas is still there. In other words... Whatever Jesus says here is aimed not just at the kawan-kawan who are going to be loyal to him, it's aimed at everyone, including Judas. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by what this? By the loving of one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you what? If you have love for one another. In other words, how will you be recognized as a Christian when you love one another? John 15, he layers it one more time, right? This is my commandment, right? 13 is a commandment, 15 is a commandment. He says, this is my commandment. It's not a suggestion, that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So now there is a new layer. What's a new layer? A laying down of life. What does love look like? I lay down my life for my friends. That's what love looks like, right? Okay, so John 13 says, Love one another. Why? Because this will make people know you are Jesus' people. How, do, how does the world know you belong to Jesus? By this. How, does, how do you express it? By laying down your life. Next one. 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Right? The message you heard. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever, I, I, you see the ellipses there, you can go back and read those, but I just wanted to cram all this in. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. By this we know love. That what? He laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The, uh, it's the same layer as the one in John 15. He's saying it one more time. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So the, there's one more, one more aspect to this now that you're starting to see is that when the practical outworking of it is when you see a brother who doesn't have as much as you do of world things, right? Like, like tangible uh, material things. What do you do? You give something to them, right? You share what you have with them, okay? And this shows that you love. And the 1 John chapter 4 uh, um, has this to say, the next slide. 
If anyone says, I love God, how many of y'all love God? Don't dare to say it now, right? They're not, they're not. How many of y'all love God? Make some noise. How many of y'all online? Raise your hands, right? Raise your hands, right? Wave, right? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, no, 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 like brother and sister, right? It's not just like, oh, it only applies to brothers, so only men, right? Um, applies to everyone. Hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, excuse me, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We're going to go into this in a moment. But if you love and you say you can love that which you cannot see, God says, I expect you to love that which you can see. In other words, the unseen must cohere with the seen. The physical must cohere with the spiritual. Your profession of your love for God must cohere with the profession of your love for each other. The, 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 manif the, the manifestation, the exhibition of your love for each other. In other words, my friends, when Jesus says, what is, uh, what is the, the greatest commandment? Love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. These two must cohere. They must make sense. They must come together. You cannot do one without the other. If you do one and you don't do the other, it doesn't add up. Jesus says, you hated me. If you don't, you hate, it's as good as if you, you don't love me. That's what he's saying. So, I want to share with you three postures. Three postures in terms of how we can step forward and learn to be a compassionate church. The first one, guard the eyes. Everybody say, guard the eyes. The second one is know the heart. Say know the heart. And the third is this, be the hands. Alright, so, so I, I actually, as I, as I was preparing this sermon, my only two points were know the heart and be the hands. Those were actually my only two points. It's supposed to be a two-point sermon. And then as I went, uh, just like, like another two steps further in, I realised that I, I wanted to share quickly one thing about guarding the eyes, right? One thing about guarding the eyes. Um, I grew up in the 1980s, and in the 1980s and 90s, um, our media was saturated with um, aid, right? How many of y'all remember Bob Geldof and Life Aid, Band Aid, Life Aid, right? Um, only those of my, from my generation remembers that, right? Um, in the 80s, um, uh, in 84, there was a famine in Ethiopia. Um, everybody became very aware about, about sending aid um, to, to some uh, of these countries. And it became a very common thing for aid organizations to use photographic images of really curlian children. Really, really bad shape. You know, kids who are on the verge of dying. I think some of you know this famous photograph of a little child crouched down on the floor with a vulture uh, behind it. How many of y'all know, remember that photo, right? The photographer got a Pulitzer Prize and then he was so wrecked with guilt because he was so into getting his shot. He didn't help the child, right? And nobody actually knows what happened to that child. The child was on her way to a food aid centre. Um, but, but the photo photographers just got the shot. This, is gonna, this, this shot is going to be on the cover. This cover is going to sell magazines. People are going to donate. And then the kids are going to get saved. And in the meantime, that kid right there, no one cared 
for her, right? But that kind of photographic imagery went everywhere, everywhere. Um, right into the into the late 90s, it was still um, all the rage. I remember uh, when I was studying in Melbourne, um, late at night, uh, we would get uh, um, uh, all these uh, World Vision ads and it would be like slow music and, and like super, you know, um, uh, you see all these pictures of little children with flies all over their eyes and then, you know, they would say like, oh, you know, um, uh, don't you pay more for a cup of coffee, just donate this much, this much, you know. And I, I remember watching those and I kind of like used to have this feeling like, hmm, like sad for them, yes, right? And then I don't, I don't really, never knew how to articulate it until the trend changed. And when the trend changed, people started to say that this, um, they named this phenomenon, right? They gave it a name and they called it, they called it poverty porn. Right? They said that uh, uh, people started to say that, that this stuff is just exploiting uh, um, images of children in suffering in order to further uh, this aid this thing. So, actually, right now, today, uh, the trend has totally shifted. If you go online, you look for World Vision or something like that, you run a search, you see like really happy children, you know, and, and, and they, they don't look like in that state anymore. It's not that fewer children are in that state, right? It's not that there weren't happy children in the 80s as well. It's just that these things, uh, um, the, the messaging is starting to change. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this to you uh, because as I was preparing this, I, I, I started to ask myself, why did I have those weird feelings in my heart late at night watching TV like I'm watching like like music videos of indie bands and then suddenly this World Vision ad comes on and they tell me you've paid more for a cup of coffee why don't you donate this much you know and there's some guilt tripping and I, I didn't feel nice you know until one day one of my housemates came and said that ha, they're just manipulating us and I was like wow you're, you're harsh you know like like Hey, come on, go easy lie you know their aid organisation is for, is for starving kids you know and then I started to think that but I feel that way as well. I just never let myself say it. So I want to show this uh, uh, to you, right? Because as I was preparing, and I was looking, thinking about my own heart, this verse came to my mind. So I'll show you Matthew 24. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. And then there's all these other things, right? Uh, they will deliver you up to tribulation, you know, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then uh, many will fall away, betray one another, and many false prophets will arise, lead many people astray. Verse 12, and because lawlessness, like this total chaos, right, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And I know this verse is not speaking specifically about that, but I mean, it's speaking about how when everything goes wrong and everything becomes threatening, your love for God will grow cold. But there is a part in this, I can't help but keep coming back and remembering this, because when I saw those ads, I felt my love grow cold. But it's weird because it's not as if I'm, I'm cold-hearted. If you came to me, or if I came to you, and I told you that a 14-year-old girl um, uh, from such and such school um, just finished her, her, her mid-years, got stabbed to death. Like, friends, your empathy levels will be like way high. Your empathy levels will definitely be way high, right? Um, you'll, be like, you, you'll be outraged, you'll be feeling a sense of like, oh, this is so wrong, oh no, poor girl, poor family, young life cut short. But guys, if I told you 2,000 people mass murdered, what's your empathy levels compared to the first story? Actually, frankly, it's lower one, right? It's actually lower one, you know? 
in a weird way. Hey, 2,000 is like, it's like so many more people. No, your empathy levels will be lower, right? So I actually wanted to share this with you before we even go into talking about compassion because you need to know something that happens with our hearts. That sometimes when we see certain scale of suffering, the love of many can grow cold. It can grow cold, okay? So I want to show you this because as I was researching, I, I discovered these three things that I thought was so interesting about how our hearts um, are calibrated. Okay, so if you can go to the next slide, right? Have you heard of compassion fatigue, right? Yeah? Have you heard of compassion fade? How many of you have heard of compassion fade? No, no one, right? How many of you have heard of allostatic overload? Jackie Chan has not heard of allostatic overload, okay? Um, but, okay, so one at a time. Compassion fatigue is, is, um, is what happens, take for example, if you're a counsellor or a psychologist. You sit down with people, or you're a pastor for that matter. You sit down with people, they share with you their trauma, they share with you their pain, they share with you how broken they are, um, and you end up feeling uh, fatigue by over, kind of like, imputing or taking on the, their pain such that you are compassionate to them in the course of counsel, um, in course of often professional counsel, it's happening to our, our, our healthcare workers um, in, in two years of COVID, by the way. Huh? And then they start to feel worn down. They start to feel uh, their mental health starts to start to wane as well and all that. So that's compassion fatigue. When you are, are kind of like having someone you are, you are treating, their pain now becomes your pain and you couldn't guard it properly. That's compassion fatigue. Now, compassion fade is slightly different. Compassion fade is, the, is like 2,000 people mass massacred, right? And you go like, oh. You know, compassion fade is when you see the higher the scale of suffering, the, actually the lower your empathy. The smaller the scale of suffering, actually, like I told you, if one 14-year-old girl was stabbed to death, your empathy will be high. If... 2,000 people were mass murdered, your empathy immediately drops because you feel that you can't cope, right? So you can't, quite, you can't quite cope with it. So actually, your compassion is a lot lower. That's called compassion fate. Now, allostatic overload. Well, just that word alone is an, is an allostatic overload, right? Um, allostatic overload is, is when you cope. An allostatic load, a normal allostatic load is when you're balancing stress so when you've got like compounding and cumulative stress, you know, and every time you have stress, you adapt one more, right? So you have an adaptive uh, 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 response, right? Now, when all that is, is weighing at a normal but strong weight, it's an allostatic load. When you cannot cope with the cumulative stress, like COVID, one, two years of everybody being so stressed, everybody being so tense, everybody being so nervous and, and, and people are, are, are struggling and all that. And so the stressors break you up to a point because you can't find a necessary compensating uh, um, uh, a response to it anymore when it's cumulative and compounded over time and you crash. That's called an allostatic overload. So, why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because the human person is not built to take that much suffering. We're not built to take that much suffering. And we have a certain finite amount of compassion uh, that you have in you right now. If God's going to give, God's going to give, my friends, and you can, you can have more compassion to give. But on your own, there is only so much you can give. Now, are we built 
to feel suffering and, and have compassion? Yes, absolutely yes, we are. Okay, and because of that, it is necessary, I would say, even healthy and good for you to interface with suffering sometime. It is healthy. It's necessary for you to grow and, and, have, and have normal empathy and all that. It's important. But we, as people, for the longest amount of time, experience suffering and empathy in very localized environments. Okay, so, so my people around me suffer. Every maybe 10 years, we've got a big disaster and, 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 and you, gather, you come together, right? That's, that's where your, your, your compassion capital, it goes into that. But today, we don't live like that anymore. We live in a world with 24-hour news cycle. We live in a world where every suffering in the world can come to you. And often, sometimes it does, right? That one earthquake here, one earthquake there, one disaster, one massacre here, one mass shooting there, everything comes to you. So you're not just carrying the burden of interfacing with suffering of your local community, which is what you, I, I assume you're, we're all built for. You're carrying the suffering load of the whole world. And you can't. There is only one. So when, why I want to share this is because there is only one who can carry the suffering of the whole world. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only one. And so, my friends, I want to say this. If there, why do, did I want to start with this? By saying, guard the eyes. Because guard your eyes as you want to grow into a compassionate church. We need to be careful not to overexpose ourselves almost in a voyeuristic sense. Like you're just looking and looking and looking because you're curious and after a while it just becomes, it just sucks you in because you keep looking at more, right? Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing but sometimes it can happen. Be careful with your eyes because what you let in uh, um, in, terms of, in terms of suffering um, can draw from you and so if you are ministering to someone, they are taking time, I want to guard you from compassion fatigue, I want you to know uh, um, to guard your heart, uh, make sure you've got You've got you, you're not constantly in it. If you're in a workplace and it's very toxic, it's very stressful, and you're in a season where the bosses are fighting or something like that, you know, it's very political. You need to be able to draw those boundaries, separate yourself, recharge, and keep keep that, you know, insulated from your heart because you don't have, I am telling you, you don't have the capacity to carry suffering all day, all night. You know, you, we have limited capacity for pain. So if we want to grow into a compassionate church, and we do, guard the eyes. So that's the first point. Guard the eyes, right? Guard the eyes. And the second point is this. We have to know the heart. You've got to know the heart of God. Now, now as you guard your eyes, you've got to know the heart of God. I want to show you uh, 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 this Bible verse, um, John 13, right? We went into this just now. New commandment I give you. Love one another as I've loved you. It's important. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, by definition, a Christian loves one another. By recognition, a Christian loves one another, right? By recognition. In other words, if you don't, they won't know. You could be any old Joe. But when, you, when the world sees that you love one another, now, why is that so? Right, let's look at the next verse and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into that, right? Um, Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self. You are, all of us as believers, we have put on a new self. Now, 
And what is the nature, the character of this new self? It is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What does this mean? It means that we are being renewed in what? In knowing. So daily we are being renewed in our knowing. And knowing what? Knowing after, right? In knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, we were created in the image of God. We know that Genesis 1, male and female, he created them. Genesis 3, he says that one more time. He created them, you know, uh, uh, in the image of God. And all throughout the scriptures, you will see it being repeated again that us, all of us humans, we are created in the image of God. It's a very interesting thing. I heard this being said by the theologian N.T. Wright. And it's a beautiful picture. When God created the, 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 the Eden, right, the, all of the universe, it's very much uh, actually creating a building a temple maps over to the same uh, 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 sequence as the creation of the universe. You build everything around it. Right? You build everything around it, you cause the structures to come up, you put everything in, all the things that look like they have like, like fire, all those things, everything goes in, the water goes in, everything goes in, and then the last thing that goes in is the image. The last thing that goes in is the image. Now that's how even people, out the pagans, built their temples, they built everything and the last thing to go in is their idol. When God created the earth, He created the earth to be His temple to be his dwelling place. And after creating everything, the last thing he puts in is his image. What is his image? Us. On the sixth day, he created man and woman and he placed them in the center of the garden so that through them, the whole world will know who is God. So that when they see this image, they will say, this, by seeing you, I know your God. By seeing you, I know what your God is like. I know His attributes, I know His love, I know His kindness, I know all of these things about your God when I see you. That's what it means. Now, that's also what it means here when, when, when Paul writes to the Colossians uh, that you are going to be renewed now in your new self, to be renewed in the knowledge after your original creation, or of your original image. You're going to look more and more now like your original image which reflects the image of your creator. And how does this look like? When you look like your creator, when you reflect his image, what does it look like? No more Greek and Jew meaning racial boundaries uh, 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 will be dissolved, right? Uh, no more circumcised and uncircumcised, meaning the traditions that, that lie behind racial boundaries and religious boundaries, that gets dissolved, right? Um, no more barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Slave or free, in other words, rich and poor all have a seat at the table of God. That's no longer a filter. Now, that does not mean that suddenly ethnicity fails, ceases to exist, right? Like, like my DNA is... Chinese, my, my nationality is still Malay, Malaysian, right? Malaysian, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, if you look at the rest of these things, these things still exist, but what's it trying to say? It is saying that these, the, these markers, these social markers that divide us, no longer divide us. Why? Because Christ is all. And Christ is in all. In other words, Christ is in the Greek and in the Jew. Christ is in the circumcised and uncircumcised. Christ is in the slave and in the free. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate 
hearts. So it leads us into knowing that we are to have and to put on a compassionate heart. Why do we have a compassionate heart? Because we are created in the Imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. That's why. Now, in the old days, um, like in the like in the eighties, it came together, right? So 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 the, the kind of the kind of almost manipulative imagery of of people in suffering in order to get money, to raise funds, to get aid, and all that, um, it came together with a certain mindset, and the mindset was that we have pity on them, right? I, I grew up hearing this, right? Hey, pity these fellas, lah, you know, so poor, you know? And I, and I remember hearing the word sympathy, have sympathy uh, for them a lot, right? I used to hear this uh, um, all the time growing up. Do you all remember when, when, when it started shifting in culture, where people started saying that, no, sympathy is not what we should have, we should have empathy. How many of you all remember around the late 90s, early 2000s, it was around that time when people started saying that, no, sympathy is condescending. Sympathy is when we say that I am up here, you are down there, you poor thing, you poor thing. Let me show you some sympathy and then I give you my aid, right? And, 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 and so, so cultural trends started shifting um, around the turn of the, the, the millennium, around 2000, around that time. And people started to say, no, what we need to have is empathy. Because empathy connects with you and what you're going through, with what I have been through. And I can say that even though your experience and my experience are different, there is a commonality in our experiences. And because I feel your pain, I'm down here with you. I'm, I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going to come around you. Now, these are English words, right? These are English words. Um, and so, I may, I'm sure in the past, sympathy had the same type of, uh, um, uh, same kind of empathetic kind of tone. But over time, you know, words diverge in meaning. Certainly, the word pity used to be used a lot, a long time ago. Um, it's not so, kind of like, not so cool to use it these days, you know, like, oh, have pity on, on all these people in this community and something like that. We don't talk like that anymore. But, Actually, why? And how is this a biblical posture to have? It's a biblical posture to have because we were created in the image of God. And because we are created in God's image, that image is holy, that image is beautiful, that image is perfect. And then, of course, we are all marked by sin. We are all marked by our own rebellion. We are all broken in our own way. So, my friends, to have a compassionate heart we can go out there and say, I have a compassionate heart and do it old school pity style. Like, wow, so poor thing. Come, let me give you my loose change. You know? um, but you know what? That sets you up as high status. And then the people whom you are showing love to, you are setting up a wedge between you saying that they are low status. Because I'm, I'm okay, ma. And you're the one who's not okay, ma. Right? And so, and through that posture, over time, what's going to happen? Number one, over time, that kind of language is going to cause you to become inadvertently, like you don't set it out to be like that, but over time, you will grow condescending. You will think that, oh, it's their problem. How come they can't fix their life? How come this, like, yeah, y'all should just go and get a job. You know, y'all should just stay in school. Y'all should blah, 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 right? And then we start having a condescending tone. But the second one is a bigger problem. The bigger problem is this, that we don't realise that we ourselves are broken too. We don't realise that we ourselves are also terribly broken in our own way. And you, you may have gotten your financial part of your life right. You, and it may not even have been you. It may have been like some stroke of, 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 I don't know, some whisker 
thin margin up in the several generations ago that something happened and one guy lost his legs and another guy didn't, you know, and six generations down, your family has wealth and that guy's family has, is still living in poverty. It could have been that. It's not even to our credit sometimes. We were just born into some of this sometimes. Sometimes you worked hard for it, so you think that it is to your credit. Regardless, when we come to have and say, I want to have a compassionate heart, but the compassionate heart is like, oh, I'm up here and, and, and you guys are so poor thing, you know? Then it puts a wedge between the two of you. It separates you with this chasm. And then you are elevating yourself often, if I may say, higher than we deserve to be. Because God says, I want you to see my image in them. It's, that's why uh, uh, um, Mother Teresa, her famous saying is, is, is that, I mean, a famous quote is that when I clean the lepers, I, 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 I see I, I'm dressing the wounds of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing, right? In other words, when Jesus said that whoever, who, whoever gave, to me, uh, uh, um, uh, gave drink to the poor, gave food to the poor, dressed the poor, clothed the poor, gave shelter to the poor, whatever you did to the least among you, you did it to me. And then everyone went up in arms, right? Like, God, when did we see that happen? When did we see you? I mean, I saw a lot of other people. I didn't see you. Jesus says, whatever you did to them, it's as if you did it to me. Why? Imago Dei. Image of God upon every single one, among the least of you. Will we show compassion from a pedestal? Or will we show compassion the way it really needs to be shown? By seeing the face of Jesus in the people we show love to. I'll tell you why it's so important. Because if you don't get this right, we will always think compassion is for people who have less money than you, different colour from you, and got no jobs. Or maybe in some other continent somewhere in this world. And we're all reverting back to the 1980s type of, 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 of advertising. If we think, if we don't get this right, we'll always think of compassionate church as some kind of go to some poor community and do some kind of, some kind of community uh, service. And that's all, right? And then when you're, like I said earlier, when you're fighting with your spouse, how? When you're, when you're scolding your, 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 your junior at work, how? Because they cocked up, right? Like if you're, how? How? Or when you are, you, you, are, you, you are ranting at your parents, how? At some point, it has, the walls have to break. It is not about me being here, you being there, therefore I'm compassionate. Compassion is like, it, it's kindness, love for, your, for, for each other that exists throughout in every human relationship. It must be there. Why? Imago Dei. Why? Image of God. With your boss, image of God. With your, with your uh, um, uh, uh, junior, it's image of God. With your team members, it's image of God. With your neighbour whose dog is so noisy that you want to, you know, poison the fella because you cannot stand ready, image of God. Not, not the dog. The dog is the dog. The dog, is the dog right? Your, your neighbour is in the image of God, right? Or the rumpet that every day make noise in front of your house, image of God. Everyone is created that way. And so when we love, we love one another. I show you so many verses about the call to love one another. Why? Because they are like loving Jesus. Loving them is like loving Jesus. There's no two ways about it. If you hate your brother, you don't say you love Jesus. You don't. Okay, I don't say this to guilt trip any of you. I'm saying this so that we can be really careful, really careful about the posture we take in our hearts against the people around us. Let's move on. 
First point was to guard your eyes. Second point is to know God's heart and His heart is His image, right? And the third point is this, is to be the hands. Is to be the hands. Let's look at the Bible verse. Let's look at the Bible verse. Colossians 3 goes on, right, to say, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. I showed you up to here just now. Kindness, humility, meekness and patience. He goes on, right? This is one of Paul's lists of virtues, right? Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So it's like, okay, compassion is connected to forgiveness. Now that's kind of weird. When I saw it in, as I was researching for this sermon, I thought it was a little weird for compassion to be linked to forgiveness. And then I looked some more and then Ephesians 4 says the same thing. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I, it left me thinking, What's the relationship between the two? There has to be a relationship between the two, okay? Because, because he's saying and emphasizing compassionate hearts forgive one another. Compassionate to one another is the same as forgiving each other. And I thought, okay, what happens when you forgive someone? You release them. When you forgive someone, you release them. Actually, let's, let's go the other way. When you are compassionate, what does it look like? What are you really trying to do? You buy a meal for someone? You, you, know, you, you, you help someone out? You, 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 you send some money uh, 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 to someone because you know that they are, they are in a difficult situation? Um, you go around to them, you know, when, they're, when, when they're, your friend has a breakup, you go around to their house, you, know, you take them out, you, you, you let them cry on your shoulder until there's not everywhere. It's like, oh yeah, it's okay, you know. You sayang them, you're compassionate. Someone lost their job, you go over there, you cook them a meal, you whatever, you know. What are you really trying to do? At the heart of it, you're showing love. You're showing love. What are you trying to do? You are trying to alleviate their suffering. That's what compassion does. Compassion sees the suffering. Sees the suffering and then goes out to alleviate that suffering, to lift that suffering, to make the load lighter, to make the pain less, to make it go away if it can, or to make it less. That's the, the action, the tangible response of a compassionate church, of a compassionate heart, of a compassionate person, is that when you see suffering, you are drawn towards alleviating it. That's what a compassionate church does. Which is why I led by telling you that you have a certain finite capacity for being able to go out there and alleviate different people's suffering. I heard of some people who have, they, they, they rescue animals, right? The whole house is full of cats. Like they're like something like 60 cats, you know, and, and the house is an absolute mess. And they are in an absolute mess, but they but they can't bring themselves to let even one cat go, right? And that's a, a kind of like a human and a cat example of how if you don't if you are not careful about your boundaries, you're gonna try to to save every whatever. It could be cat, it could be not, right? It could be every person. You could try to end up meeting and alleviating the suffering of every single person and then that's when you burn out and you get one of those three things, right? You, you, you end up with allostatic overload, right? Um, but, but my friends, why is this so important? It's because when compassion is about alleviating suffering, it links to forgiveness because in coming to the earth, 
to live a life like us, Jesus came to die on the cross, forgiveness, forgive us of our sins and alleviate us from the greatest suffering of all. The suffering that comes about by our own sin, by our, our own rebellion, by our own refusal to go with Him, but to strike it on our own. The wages of sin is death. And in coming to die on our behalf, Jesus Christ modeled for us what true compassion looks like. I will come, I will lay down my life so that your suffering can be alleviated. Not just alleviated for Jesus. He says, so that your suffering can forever be removed from you once and for all. So that at the end of days, you will inherit an eternal riches, an eternal life, an eternal glories where there will be no more tear that is shed. Your suffering will completely end one day. How? Because Jesus came and laid down his life. Rewind all the way back to, 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 to John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Sorry, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ came, died for us. Therefore, we must do the same for our brothers. The call to be compassionate is the same call to reflect the love of God. It is the same call to forgive one another and to be His hand. So my friends, practically, how does this look like? I'm just going to share one or two stories. Off the cuff, I wasn't even planning to share. I was told before that, oh, you know, sometimes all these people, they come to your table when you makan near the mama or kopitiam, and then they want to sell you um, a tissue, right? And then sometimes you buy, sometimes you give cash, and then somebody somewhere along the line told you that, hey, you shouldn't, you know, because uh, it's a syndicate. How many of you all heard that before, right? Okay, you've heard that before. The moment you hear that, your mood to lie on them immediately drops. Your empathy levels crash immediately, okay? So that poor guy, whether he's from a syndicate or not, okay, the guy is forever not going to be able to get anything anymore because where he goes around, okay, and then sometimes someone says that, hey, don't give them money, they'll take and buy drugs, right? There was one Christmas, I, I used to be quite psycho one, okay, quite crazy one. Um, in, uh, my wife is laughing now because uh, this is an unplanned story. Um, I, I read this book by a guy called Shane Clebon. Right? The fact that I don't have a slide. Actually, you can take off the slide already. Lah, you know? um, I read this book by a guy called Shane Clebon called Irresistible Revolution. Okay? He's, just, he's like a hippie. You know, he, he, he wears all these you know, uh, camel hair clothes and all that. And then he, like, he, like, he like, you know, has this church where he gathers all the, all the homeless people in his city. I think it was Philadelphia at the time. You know, and, and I was so inspired. So, there was, so I started to go around looking for homeless people. Right? Um, I can tell you there was no small amount of condescension and pity there. So I, I was still in my, in my way learning how to have a really genuine compassionate heart. But I went out and did it anyway, right? So I, 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 I was living in Subang, so I found this homeless guy. Like, I, didn't, I, I didn't look for him actually. I went to eat chili panmi, right? No, no, no. I went to eat... Uh, <laughs> there was a chili panmi nearby. I went to eat uh, um, ayam penyet at Sunway. And then there was, a, there was a homeless guy right outside. And I just... I, I, my book was in the car, you know? And I walked past this homeless guy. I was, I was like, uh, Uncle, Uncle. Yeah, I, I offered to buy him a, a meal. Uncle, you uh, know? Uh, 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 I, like, I don't even know why he said, lie, 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 lie. you know? Uh, um, so I bought him a meal, right? And then I sat down with him and talked to him. And as I talked to him, you know, I, I, I learned 
you know, a bit about his life, you know. And then I told him that, Uncle, uh, 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 I come and look for you. I come and look for you again. So I started to come back and look for him again, right? Um, and I discovered that um, he was, he, he had a fight. His family lived in Sikinchan, you know. They threw him out of the house and, and, and he's been a bum, uh, 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 so-called living in, on the streets in, in Sunway. And then on Christmas Eve, I, I, I told Athalia, we weren't married at that time, we, we were dating. I told her, I'm going to go sleep with this guy. Sleep with, sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm going to sleep on the streets with this guy, right? <laughs> why, why did she marry me? I, I, I said, I'm going to go on the streets. I'm going to spend Christmas Eve with this guy, right? Um, um, and so I went to look for him and then I found him at his normal spot. And then I said that, oh, uncle, you know, today I spend, I, 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 I spend Christmas Eve with you. I tell you about Jesus, you know, and all that stuff, like, you know. So, and... <laughs> It never occurred to me that, that there might be some HIV-infected needle somewhere. I might get poked. I might, I might you know. Um, like it never occurred to me. I was so naive at the time, right? Um, and so, I hung out with him and I, and I saw his nighttime routine. I saw at some point he would go away, you know, and then he would, he would go and go to his toilet. He would try to get cigarettes from whoever who would give, you know. Um, and, and so, I tell you this story because I woke up the next morning and I was fine, okay? Um, I barely slept. I barely slept um, and he was gone already and then later he came back and then I talked with him some more you know that nah. <laughs> why am I sharing this with you I'm sharing with you, this with you that that sometimes we get excited and we get motivated to show compassion you know in very extravagant ways um, please be wise please tell someone and let that someone be able to speak to into your life and say hey um, bring someone else or hey um, maybe up to a certain time in the night or hey, something, like put boundaries around you. If you're a parent and your teenager is like so excited about wanting to do something, you know, um, radical, show radical love, you know, um, don't say no, don't close all the doors, but, but show them how they can do it uh, um, with, with, with the necessary, you know, wisdom and safeguards. So that's one thing, right? Want to show compassion, please allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself to enter it. I think as I was, talk I was talking about suffering just now, we need to allow ourselves to feel it. And I think sometimes we experience, you know, like, like allostatic overload or, or compassion fatigue. It's because we just can't cope. We can't cope. So because we can't cope, we don't even let ourselves experience it. So we see these things and we just pass because we, we, we just can't, right? We don't want to look. We stop looking. And actually, that does not humanize us. Too much wrecks us. Too little makes us into, into hearts of stone. And, and, and God says in, in Ezekiel 34, 36, uh, um, he, says, he says, I'm giving you a heart of 36. He said, I'm giving you a heart of, of flesh. I'm taking away your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And what do you do with a heart of flesh? You can't turn away, right? Bob Dylan said, How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears must one ha man have before he can hear people cry? How many deaths does it take till he knows too many people have died? The answer, is it blowing in the wind? The answer should be in Christ. We are Christians. And our answer should be that, that if we all collectively had the right dose, the right healthy dose of compassion, that we can, that we can make a difference in our locality. I'm not asking you to save the whole world. And the real difference might not even be outcomes-oriented. It might not even be outcomes-oriented because Jesus said elsewhere in Scriptures that the poor you will always have with you. But the real difference is your heart is transformed. Their heart is touched. And you may still continue to live in all kinds of brokenness and deep, profound brokenness until we all die. 
and it will still continue. But that is the heart of God. He showed Him. He showed up because you showed up. And that's what we live for, to make manifest the character and image of God. So sometimes we are very outcomes-oriented, like if they, if, they are, if they never come out of poverty, there's no point. There is a point. The point is that they experience the love of God. One more example. Remember, they come to sell tissue to you and you don't know what to do with them. If you give, you're scared they buy, they buy uh, 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 drugs, they buy cigarettes. Or worse still, it goes to a, to, a, to, to a syndicate. If you don't give, you feel like, you why I sold like that one, you know? After all, it's just one ringgit, five ringgit. Offer to buy them a meal. Offer to buy them a meal. Because they can't, they can't exchange the meal for cash. The syndicate doesn't earn anything. They can't turn, it into, they can't turn the meal into, in, into drugs. They can't turn the meal into, into, into alcohol. If ever someone comes up to you and say, oh, not believe tissue or whatever it is, right? Just say, Kak, sudah makan ke belum? Just do it, right? Kak, sudah makan? Ni ce palama? Lai wa makan ni, right? Then sit down with them and then buy them a meal. Sit, buy them a meal. If, if, you're, if, if you're scared, like, like I mean, this is not, you're not used to it, then get them to sit down in the table next to you and then go like, oh, uh, fun, you know, one lah, you know, just buy, order them, them a meal, pay for them, right? And then tell them, today Jesus bought you this meal. Jesus bought you this meal, right? And Jesus loves you. Today, I'm here to show, show you love, right? Just learn one or two lines of this in BM, in, China, in Mandarin, in Cantonese, right? right? And dude, you're sorted. Really, literally, you're sorted, right? Learn one of these two things, right? Grow, grow a compassionate heart, right? Now, at the end of the day, the real question is, why do we do this? Because we are called to witness the love of God. We are called to witness the love of God. Jesus wants us, He created us, He put us into the centre of His temple so that when we go in, the whole world will know what the God, the deity looks like. What are we called to do? We are called to be a church that can go on the ground, show love, show tangible love. And in so doing, people who see us will say, I know your God. Sungai Bulo one day is going to know who our God is. Sungai Bulo will know. Wherever you live, wherever you work, they're going to know who our God is. Why? Because day by day, the Lord is refining you and renewing you in the knowledge after the, after the image of your Creator. And as that happens, as you grow in the knowledge and, 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 and in the semblance of your Creator, He's going to do something in your locality to change to change the surroundings, to change the atmosphere through you, through every single one of us. So my friends, I'm done with the preaching today. I want to give us a little bit of time for ministry. And this is what, this is how we're going to do it. First group, if you feel that your heart is just like, God, why am I so loveless? Why, am I, why do I have such a... Why am I so cold? You know, like you've seen these things and like, oh, I know rasa. I really know rasa. I find it hard to be compassionate. If that is you, then you don't need to do anything extravagant. I just want you to open up your hands. You don't even need to have your hands open in front of the screen. It can be below the screen, right? Just open up your hands. But if you want prayer with someone, type pray into the Zoom chat. And someone uh, uh, will come and break you up into, uh, into a prayer room. 
if you feel that your heart has always you struggled to be compassionate and maybe your spouse has told you this before when you fight you're really cruel or maybe you know this you have a reputation right when you scold people you're really cruel really no mercy one really no mercy one and god says that i'm a god of mercy how can you be a, how can you have no mercy right that's not me you're not reflecting me the world is not seeing me when they see you scold like when i scold the world sees me right because i scold enough god i i know how to hold back sometimes all of us we scold we don't know how to hold back right? sometimes when we fight we fight to hurt we say things to wound right sometimes we do that church my friends if that is you and you want prayer because you're saying that God, if you're going to be seen in my life, I need to change. And I can't change myself. I need you to change me. If that is you, I want you to type Zoom, uh, not, not Zoom, type into the Zoom chat. Type pray. Just type pray. Someone will break up with you. And even if you don't, uh, just hold your hands open because we want to pray together with you. Second group. Second group of people. You're struggling because you are suffering. You are the one who is experiencing pain. You are the one who is going through trials and, and, and suffering. And, and the pain is so real. But maybe along the way, you've felt like nobody notices you anymore. And no compassionate person ever came around to you. And you've been unnoticed, unloved, uncared for. And you feel that the way people have been around you reflects how God is in your heart and in your mind. You don't actually think God loves you. You don't actually think God cares. You actually kind of feel like God is just, He's just going to leave you to fend for yourself. And actually, maybe it's because when you cried as a young child, nobody came to pick you up. Or maybe when you were just broken, you had a bad breakup, you had lost your job, that nobody came around to you. And over time, that became the pattern in your life. And you have now imputed it onto God. You, in your heart of hearts, you don't know if God loves you. If that is you, I want you to do the same. To open up your hands in front of you or to type in pray and someone will pray with you because I believe that the Lord wants to show you He does care, He has cared, He has been there with you and as you walk through your valley of shadow of death, He has been with you but He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to show you that He has been there and He will be there and He is right here with you right now. And the whole history of God it's, it, it comes down to Emmanuel, God with us. If ever you felt alone, he says, when you go through the valley of shadow of death, I am with you, my rod, my staff, they comfort you. And then he named himself after that. He said, my name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And so my friends, if you struggle to sense and know the love of God, I want you to know God is with you. He loves you. And He wants to show Himself real to you today. Amen. Father, I just want to thank You, Lord God, for every single one of us. For those of us who are crying out for our hearts to be softened, like, I don't like myself, Lord. I don't like myself. Every time I come to church, I see, I hear the call for to be more loving. And I'm just this kind of person. And I don't want to spend my whole life saying, I can't change, I'm this kind of person. I don't want to keep on saying that because your word has convicted me today that I ought to change. 
Your word says that do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by renewal. Be transformed by renewal of your mind. So Lord, I want to be renewed. I don't like who I am. I'm too cold. I'm too, I'm too heartless. I'm like a heart of stone. I don't like it. Lord Jesus, change me. Change me. Come, break my heart. Break my heart. Make me soft. Help me to be like you in this way. Maybe I'm like you in other ways, but I'm not like you in this way. I want to change. Give me a heart of flesh. Take away my heart of stone. Please, take away my heart of stone. Holy Spirit, I, I pray and ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh right now in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just command every heart of stone to soften right now in the name of Jesus. Every heart of stone to soften. If you have been guarding your heart because you are afraid of getting hurt, because you are afraid of getting hurt, because you have been hurt before and you dare not open up, I ask the Holy Spirit right now to start the work, start the work to open up and allow you to trust again, allow you to have compassion again, allow you to feel again and to bring healing upon past hurts, to bring healing upon past traumas. And if you, if you are crying out because you feel that you're always alone, and you're always going through the roughest times alone, alone again, one more, alone again, nobody come to you, and you reach the point, you just say, God, serious? You keep saying you love, 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 love. I don't feel your love. I don't feel your love. If that is you and if that is your heart's cry, I want to I pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that your voice and your tangible love will cut through all the layers of the years of pain, all the layers of the years of neglect, of being ignored, of being pushed aside, of being unnoticed. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you cut through all of this and you touch them in their hearts and show them your love and fill their hearts with your love right now. Holy Spirit, just fill, fill the heart with the love of the Father. Fill the hearts with the love of the Father right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Minister to our people right now. Father, I thank you. Oh Lord Jesus, I thank you. Indeed, you are a good God. Indeed, your goodness knows no limits. And today, Lord, Today, Lord, we are here. One day, we want to be a really compassionate church. Today, we take the first step. We take, it's not the first step, church. It's not the first step. It's once that you've been taking many steps to this day. And you will take many steps more. Today, we, stay, we take one step. One more step. And we don't start things. We join God in what He has started. So today, you're not starting to be more compassionate. God has been starting this process days ago, weeks ago, when He laid something in your heart and He laid something in mine to share today. He started the process already. Today, join Him in what He is doing and allow Him access into your heart. Father, I thank You and I pray Your blessing upon every single one of us. May the love of God the Father, oh, may the love of God the Father, church, He has a fatherly love and His love of a Father is perfect. May this love of the Father, may the grace, that self-sacrificing grace, the grace that comes to lay down His life for His brothers, may that grace of the Son, Jesus Christ, 
and may the empowering fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that fellowship which comes and assures you He loves you and comes to soften you if you don't know how to love. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us until we meet again and all of God's people shout aloud, Amen! Amen! Amen.